welcome to the first episode of Between the Laughs, a brand new podcast described by one critic as Richard and Judy's book club without any books or either Richard or Judy. It's also not really a club. Each episode, I will be joined by a crack team of comedy connoisseurs, one of whom will nominate some comedy for the rest of us to watch. Then we watch it and then we talk about it. It gets more fun when you tell us what you think of the comedy. So please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Between Laughs and Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs or email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. We'll use the social medias to share forthcoming comedy nominations so you can do your homework alongside us and have your thoughts be a part of the next episode. If you're listening to this, which you definitely are, don't forget to subscribe through iTunes or your preferred podcasting tool. Speaking of podcasting tools, my name is Rob Cowan and I am broadcasting from my overpriced San Francisco bedsit from where I am delighted to be remotely joined this week by Paul Brunger in Manchester and Sarah Moore at the Mother-in-Laws in Eastbourne. Hello. Hello. We do have a third guest, uh, Mike Techman, who is allergic to this show and ends up in A&E every time we try to record it. He may appear in future episodes. If he lives through the night. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's, it's been touch and go every time we've tried to record. So um, I've claimed executive privilege and, and, and taken the first nomination here, and I've gone for a little known up-and-coming comedy called Seinfeld. TV comedies do not get much more popular than Seinfeld, yet I only saw it for the first time uh, when I moved to the States last year. It ran from 1989 to 1998, but I don't remember ever seeing it or knowing anybody who watched it at the time. Uh, apparently it was broadcast very late on BBC Two on weekday evenings, so I, I guess you probably just had to be really dedicated to typing in video plus codes uh, if you ever wanted to catch it. But now it's available to all of us on streaming services on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, the episodes I have nominated for these guys to watch were the very first episode and episode 21 of season four. Seinfeld became known as the show about nothing, and this episode, about a B.O. smell that Jerry can't get out of his car, is a fine example of this premise. So, uh, what did you guys think? Was this the first time any of you have seen Seinfeld? So, yeah, Rob, I was interested to know, um, from your time living in America, just how much of a big deal Seinfeld is there. Um, for them, is it the equivalent of something like The Office here in the UK? Yeah, it does seem to be uh, pretty huge. Um, it's also quite old now, though. So the people who watched it the first time round are are not our generation, but probably a generation older. Um, it's huge enough that the spin-off um, Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, is based on the extravagant lifestyle lived by the writer of Seinfeld because he allegedly made something like $800 million off reruns. It was absolutely huge here for a long time, and it's still constantly being repeated on TV. Uh, but I do, I do find it strange that it's never been a hit in Britain because I think Britain would have liked it. Yeah, that's interesting, so, isn't it? Was it ever shown on terrestrial TV here? Yeah, as I said, just on BBC Two, very late nights on weekdays. Apparently. Yeah, so I, I did see a little bit of it the first time round, but because I think it was kind of one of these old BBC Two lineups where they showed a whole stack of comedy things. Uh, so way past my bedtime, I probably tried to watch it, but probably fell asleep after Have I Got News For You or something like that. So it was there, but it was one of these things where it was a bit sort of mistreated by the schedules. And yeah, as you say, you have to be very committed, I think, to ever see it. So I, I was probably a bit young to appreciate it anyway. It's strange because presumably um, it was it was not cheap for the BBC to buy it. 
and and you know around the same time Channel 4 was having huge success with Friends and Frasier and all the rest of it um, and they were paying a lot of money for the, the rights to those yet BBC must have paid quite a lot for Seinfeld and, and then relegated it to the graveyard slot yeah it's funny isn't it I wonder if there was something kind of distinctly American about Seinfeld that um, was different to Frasier or one of those programs that translated really well. Yeah, I don't, I don't see much of a difference. I, I've never really watched Frasier, but between Friends and Seinfeld, Seinfeld is darker and I, I guess a little bit more subversive in its comedy than, than Friends. So it's a little bit less accessible. But I, you know, in comparison to a, to a lot of successful British comedies. It almost feels more like a British comedy than an American comedy of that era, anyway. So it's yeah, it is very strange that it yeah. is successful. Yeah, and I, I think there's a couple of interesting things there because I think I'd sort of done a little bit of the homework of of reading around some of this stuff online that was uh, not necessarily available at the time because probably a little bit early, but sort of retrospective looks at at Seinfeld and and kind of why it was this big deal so apparently when friends first came out in the states it was it was described as a seinfeld ripoff um, really oh, which I thought was very interesting yeah which was which was very odd and i think one of the things that i think we'll we'll probably talk about as well is so exa- exactly kind of to your point rob that it's probably more similar to some british stuff because seinfeld is sort of billed in the states as being this complete revolution in comedy and it's very subversive and it's it, it stopped being sort of sitcoms like different strokes and the brady bunch and whatever it is and then becomes about this uh this this much more cynical group of people whereas i think in the uk for me that that was probably wasn't that big a revolution i i think we kind of already had a lot of that stuff in in a more british comedy tradition going back quite a long way so i i, I kind of wonder whether they went okay this is good but actually it's not it's not kind of tearing up the foundations in the same way it maybe did in the States. Yeah, it's interesting. How well do you think it's aged? Um, because it, what I fi- what I feel having rewatched Seinfeld, but also um, watching Friends, is that they're both of this era, especially the early seasons of Friends, where it's essentially the same modern world that we're living in today. Very little is different, except there's no mobile phones and there's no internet. So there are quite a lot of plot lines I find in Seinfeld that would easily be resolved if they just texted each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, you think, I guess, uh, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is if we could go back to the 1990s and look at a show from the sixties or seventies, would, uh, would that show have aged as well as Seinfeld has in, in that time? So the thing that I sort of noticed, um, from watching Seinfeld and probably also from watching Friends, um, the thing that I think ages them, rather than being the content um, itself, is more about the delivery. Um, and I think there's, I think we've moved towards um, more of a kind of naturalistic, um, if that's the term, um, presentation sitcoms where it feels a bit more realistic. Whereas I sort of felt in Seinfeld and certainly in Friends as well. Um, the conversations feel like a series of punchlines in a way, um, and so it feels a bit false. 
I, I think that the, the dialogue style in Seinfeld is sort of super stylized, isn't it? It's it's they're not talking like people talk at all. It's very and you, you get kind of these bizarre ones where two people are having completely different dialogues talking across each other as if they can't hear the other person. And it's it, it's actually I think it actually takes a little bit of time to sort of tune in to to how they talk in Seinfeld. It's it's definitely kind of before sort of the office came along and made everything supernatural it's just such a uh a distinct way of delivery i i think even compared to sort of friends and stuff i think it's it's a really odd way of doing it and i, I actually think it kind of adds to it i think because some of the stuff that they say in seinfeld isn't actually kind of that funny as a line i don't i don't think some, it's it's a whole load of killer lines but the way that it's delivered and this this really odd delivery style and conversational style that they've got i think is kind of quite funny in itself no it is i think because it's um well, I think it's the case with any kind of art that you, um, when you look at it, you have to look at it in context, don't you? And I think the fact that things like The Office have happened since, um, as Paul said, that's kind of informed certainly a lot of the style of British comedy, I think, since then. Um, and you can't really condemn something for not, you know, for being different um, when it was totally appropriate for its time. And I, and I almost think kind of your Point, Rob, about if if we were in the nineties, looking back at the seventies, would we find something that had actually aged that well? I kind of think actually maybe Seinfeld is the first thing that I'm aware of that actually does age well because you know, I guess what was a, a funny American program we were watching before that? It was probably something like Alf, uh, which which has not aged well. Yeah, Seinfeld is it's, it's hard to believe Seinfeld's thirty years old, more than thirty years old. Yeah, um, and it it's. The, the the conversations they're having, the situations they're in, with the exception of the fact that they don't have mobile phones, and I mean that and that, is, that is quite a stark difference. It can I mean, be set today. There, there are yeah. very few things that would be different about their lives today, apart from the fact that they can afford to live in Manhattan. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I guess a chunk of it is because it's kind of so clearly something that they've gone or they've seen a, a, a club comic that they like in Jerry Seinfeld and they went oh okay let's do your stuff but on TV um, and it kind of starts so it, it really is this sort of like late late 80s early 90s observational comedy because the stuff that bookends it which is him in a comedy club doing those routines is, is then so effectively outlining the the premise of that episode, going, oh, isn't it crazy when you wait in a restaurant queue? And I'm like, hey, I'm waiting in this restaurant queue, and it's very much that sort of observational comedy, then extrapolated into a into a sitcom format. But because it is because it is all based on an observational club comedy set, it is all stuff that everyone's done, and everyone still goes out and eats restaurants and parks cars and makes social faux pas and and double dips their chips, and it's. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big part of it is because it, it it's taken that kind of stand up uh, and just given him a TV vehicle, and his stand up is very very real sort of observational life's minutiae, which at the time um, no one had really done. Whereas now, if you're a comic and you walk on stage and go, "Oh, men and women are different, aren't they?" Then uh, <laughs> then people go, "Oh, I think I've heard this one." It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so the stand-up, uh, the stand-up sections at the beginning. There's quite, there's a bit of an interesting debate online about whether those are Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian in real life, or Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian in character. Um, but there is one moment, I think, in one of the episodes where um, where Jerry interacts with somebody in the audience in the comedy gig that is one of the characters in the show. 
and you realise that actually what the kind of the premise of the early season, I think this is fascinating as a kind of an experimental piece of comedy at that time, was the premise was Jerry was Jerry the character is a stand-up comedian. He experiences these things in the show which we get to enjoy. And then at the end of the episode, we see him using the funny things that he's just done in the episode as material for his stand-up show, which we're also then enjoying. And then that's a... I think if somebody did that today, that would be quite an interesting uh, approach to comedy. But I think especially at the time, that was that was really quite um, different. Yeah, I think, that's really, I think that's a really good point. It's almost the reverse of the way it actually has worked probably in real life, is it's probably a thing that wasn't as funny as that happened that was pretty normal. He did some stand-up about it and then had to make a, a 25-minute sitcom episode about it but yeah it's, it's a good point actually within the, within the premise of the show it's probably the other way around it seems like uh it seems like the seinfeld probably was a big influence on a lot of the british sitcoms from the late 90s onwards more so in some ways than it was for the kind of the american sitcoms things like the royal family the office um phoenix knights even peter k's stand-up you know this this surge in uh in observational comedy um it's interesting when the BBC uh, reported in 1998 when when Seinfeld was uh, was was finally cancelled. Jerry Seinfeld decided to end the show. He was making five million dollars an episode at the time. The BBC said the whole observational comedy scene is so whiskery now that it should follow Seinfeld's material into retirement and stay there. So in 1998, the BBC was <laughs> was engraving the gravestone of observational comedy when really it was the start of a of a, of a period that hasn't ended yet. Peter Kay's definitely missed that memo, hasn't he? <laughs> Do you know when you see a thing? I mean, it's, I guess now we're in this world where you've kind of got the likes of, of Richard Herring and, and Stuart Lee who will do routines to a comedy literate audience about the thing that you're observing is observing someone doing observational comedy and doing jokes about that and how he goes, oh, do you remember a thing that happened? Oh, I remember things too. And that that's the joke in itself. So it's, it's, it's kind of still being parodied now by by people who kind of see themselves as doing something outside of that and and something sort of more innovative and clever so yeah it's interesting to know that already in 1998 people were going oh yeah now we've done this yeah and the interesting thing with that is i'm even getting sick of that of Stuart lee's dick about sort of taking the piss out of um observational comedy and i feel like we need someone else to poke fun at Stuart Lee, poke in front at observational comedy. Um, and maybe that'll be the next wave. Maybe that's Jerry Seinfeld's role. I mean, Seinfeld <laughs> is, uh, he's, uh, it's, it's quite shocking actually. I tend to think, you tend to think of Jerry Seinfeld as being young because, because you see him in Seinfeld and, and I guess, and it's, it has aged so well that you forget that it was a full lifetime ago, uh, for us that he was doing that. Um, but uh, he's got a special on Netflix, uh, a stand-up special on Netflix. He's now well into his sixties, and um, he's he's still doing the same observational stuff. And when he does that, it works. And when he tries to do other things, it doesn't work quite so well. So, suddenly, he does seem to be all over the place again. Because after Seinfeld was kind of finished, or at least in sort of our pocket world in in the UK on the BBC, when the BBC specifically stopped showing him, then you know I saw nothing of him ever again until he was in the B movie. Um, where he plays a bee, and even that's a cartoon, so he's not on the he's on the screen. And then suddenly, from that, there seems to be his sort of getting in Jerry Seinfeld in a car with comedians, getting coffee, web stuff that he did, and now he suddenly seems to be appearing on things again. But yeah, he very much has that same super stylized 
delivery and doing that same sort of stuff in in everything that I've seen him in. I mean, sort of stuff. Jerry Seinfeld gets coffee in cars with comedians. Again, some of that stuff because he's just having a conversation with someone else, and I don't know that it's it's necessarily killer writing, but you just enjoy the way that he says things and repeats them and, and stuff like that. And it just is somehow, it does somehow work. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if, if, uh, if another comedian read out Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up material on stage, it wouldn't work as well. I think he has a very distinctive style, but that brings us nicely into my next question. Is Jerry, who obviously in the show himself, he is playing stand-up comedian. Is he actually the straight man in Seinfeld? Yeah, I, I would say I would say very much so. I think it's I I think it's actually kind of super even handed because I, I distinctly remember watching these odd episodes very late at night and at that time um what I remember is the only bit I was really interested in was Kramer who would come in and fall down. Um <laughs> so young young me enjoyed that. But I think most of the comedy definitely comes from George. Um well, I think yeah, he's now, when I, the when fall I, when guy I, for everything. When I watch it now, I think George and Elaine are by far my favourite characters. But but at the time, the first time around, it was Kramer. But at, at no point does Jerry become the favourite character because I think you're exactly right. I think he's the straight man that the stuff happens to, and he just says the same stuff in an increasingly exasperated voice while uh, while the other three kind of get on with some of the interesting stuff. Because I, I I think. Um, like George is is probably my my favorite character now but actually Elaine is also I think a super interesting character because she at, at no point do they sort of get bogged down into into friends or Fraser world of 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 do they don't they and all this sort of stuff she goes and sort of leads her leads her own life we don't kind of view it really pruriently in that whenever she gets a boyfriend, I'm not going, oh, right, oh, this is exciting. Um, and she's kind of allowed to stand on her own two feet as a character and and some of the stuff she comes out with is is really great. So I, I think it is kind of pretty even-handed across the group, but I completely agree with you that, that Jerry is just sort of the person whose apartment they all go to <laughs> and then gets shocked by things. It's, uh, it's I guess, quite generous writing on the part of, of, of Jerry Seinfeld that, that his own character doesn't really get the the lats. yeah yeah even even though it's his TV vehicle yeah indeed yeah yeah I suppose the the mega bucks might have helped make up for that though <laughs> yes the five million dollars an episode oh yeah have you have you heard about the curse of Seinfeld no no the curse of Seinfeld is that after this hugely successful comedy and, I, and I'm sure we can think of other examples of comedies where the same thing has happened um, very few of them found meaningful work friends you know, um, yeah, exactly. The same thing happened with Friends. They've done, some of them have done some terrible, terrible TV shows, some terrible movies. But it, with Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld continued, I guess, with his with his stand up. Um, but um, Julia Louis Louis Dreyfus, until Veep came along, and we're talking fifteen years later, probably. Well, I guess ten years after the uh, after Seinfeld ended, she didn't do anything significant. George's actor has not really found anything significant, and Kramer's a racist. I wonder if if it's because because um, I think the thing that happened with Friends really was that it was such a strong ensemble cast, but actually separately um, they weren't as exciting, and I think that's why their careers suffered afterwards. Um, and I wonder if it's similar. Um, yeah, I here. think, think that maybe Kramer. I mean, Kramer's Kramer's comedy in, in Seinfeld is largely physical, and him doing having weird ticks and stuff like that. How many other shows could he do that in? 
yeah, he'd be, he'd be the same character in in anything, and yeah, there's there's not a lot kind of outside of that 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 you associate with him. I think. I, th- I think I think though, just I, I think then again, um, Elaine could definitely have played a whole range of sort of quite venal, mean, real world women. You know, you could you could see, uh, and obviously. They kind of did do this, but for example, the 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 role of the manager in the It Crowd could easily have been a role for her if they if they were to do that in the US. Things like that, where where she's she's not expected to be there as the 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 you know the, she's the lady that they all love and is magically flawless, but to be allowed to be her own character. And I, I think she could have had a big stack of things. So that for me, that's the really surprising one. I think. I think it's. I think also presumably they all had quite high prices. They, they were being paid a lot of money to do Seinfeld, and and that would probably, you know, up and coming comedies aren't going to be able to to tap into these. So they they, they have to have a ready made vehicle. I think there are some examples. Certainly, Kramer had a show kind of made for him. Uh, the Kramer actor had a show kind of made for him, um, which flopped because what they were trying to do was essentially have Kramer in a different with a different character name in a different context without the other characters in it and it didn't work which is similar I suppose to what happened with Joey although that was a proper spin-off where well, yeah, I was going to say yeah that's literally the same character and you go oh actually I'm not that I'm not that bothered because I mean the problem is is as well people are always going to compare you to the brilliant thing you've been in and not many people kind of go and take a, a major role in in two sort of best of their generation comedies i mean even kind of looking at people who've done things that i love in the in the uk if you take for example dylan moran in in black books that is a brilliant series uh, and yes he has done other things on on tv and whatever but fundamentally he's gone back to his his stand-up career he's, he, and kind of played small supporting roles in in films but he's come nowhere near to being in anything that is as good as that again moving on slightly i think what's interesting about where the comedy comes from in in Seinfeld is that it is about the kind of the minutiae of, of awkward interactions uh, in day-to-day life, but it doesn't feel awkward very often. Certainly if you compare it to watching The Office or even Curb Your Enthusiasm or anything like that, they're very awkward comedies to watch sometimes. You don't cringe very much watching Seinfeld, even though it is heavily observational and heavily about awkward interactions. Do you think that's because it's not played straight, going back to the sort of discussion we had before? Maybe. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's there's so much absurdity. I've got an example uh, I noted down here that the, there's an episode where George doesn't know whether he's got a job or not uh, after a job interview, so he just turns up anyway and pretends to do the work. There's a sort of it, it the, the the premise of it is is an awkward situation which you can sort of imagine it's a bit absurd in itself, but you can sort of imagine it happening. You, like the the boss takes a phone call just as they're about to say whether you've got the job or not and you don't want to be awkward and ask if you've got the job, but then the absurdity of him just turning up and working when he actually hasn't got the job, I think, in the end. Well, I, I think that is kind of what it does work, because I was kind of, I've said a couple of times, oh, is is the writing that killer? But in terms of the plotting, I think I think it really is, because I think what it does with this stuff is it really does snowball. So it'll start off the smallest thing and, you know, he'll do what you might do. You'll go and say to your friends afterwards in the apartment, oh, this happened and it was really awkward, but then it will just snowball and snowball and it'll build up to be some massive situation where he's, yeah, having to sell his car or whatever it is. And I think it does that really well because it doesn't do it in a way that sort of feels 
oh no, how would that happen? It does kind of build it up gradually in a really nice way. I think what's interesting is when Friends came along and people accused it of being a Seinfeld ripoff, they're in Manhattan. It's about Friends. Beyond that, there aren't they're, they aren't that, that similar, are they? No, I, I was quite surprised. Yeah, I was like, well, is it? Um, like if, you, if you think about the strong friendships uh, within within the gang in Friends, you know, they're, they're really, really codependent on each other. They don't have any outside friends. Where, whereas, and I think they don't have outside friends because they're so close. Whereas mm. in Seinfeld, they don't have outside friends because they're horrible people and these are the only <laughs> other, other people that will like them. And I guess they also have a life outside what you see on the screen. So in Friends, anything that happens to those people happens on screen in Friends because they're always with each other. Uh, whereas Seinfeld, you know, it may be just the fact that I struggle to keep track of things or tell one version from another, but the fact that, you know, they'll be talking and, and what they'll have a different girlfriend last week. Elaine will have started to go out with someone that you've never you've never even seen or heard of or whatever. George will have a new girlfriend. Jerry certainly will. And and it all happens completely outside of, of what's going on. And you kind of think, oh, have I have I missed an episode there? Um, because you're kind of more used to it being in this sort of this sort of bubble, but actually they they really do live outside of of that bubble of what's shown on screen. And, and that shows a bit of respect for the audience, I think, as well, where they, they they appreciate the idea that we can handle a new character being introduced without being introduced. Um, one thing, just on the topic of women, um, given that I'm obviously here as a token. Um, yes. <laughs> I. Um, I'd read somewhere that Elaine was introduced after the, the first pilot episode, which she wasn't in, um, because um, NBC executives thought that um, the show was too too male-centric. Um, and so one of the conditions of um, commissioning it was that they got a woman on board. Um, and I just wondered, because she is quite a rounded character and kind of holds her own um, amongst the blokes. And I just wondered whether that is, can we think of an example from before Seinfeld when there was a woman in that sort of role in a kind of more male environment like that? She, see, she certainly holds her, her own very well. You, you've got this, this core cast of four people, one woman, and she you know, dominates the scene she's in, not just as an, as an actress, but also as, as a character. Yeah, and not just I as a know. love interest either, which I think is no. really important. And I think it's fascinating how they dealt with that. They made it. They made her Jerry's ex-girlfriend from the very start. Yeah, to rule it um, out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good question, actually, I think, uh, Sarah. I'm just trying to kind of run through in my in my brain and again i'm probably probably less up on the on the us stuff than i am on on the uk stuff but pretty much the only one i can easily think of is someone like diana from waiting for god who effectively was i guess the lead in that uh, and again was a, a strong and rounded person and because she's an elderly woman there's not a uh, uh it doesn't become a sort of a, a romance or she's there as the 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 love interest sort of thing. I suppose Roseanne. Um, oh was, yeah, that's good. When, mean, not, so when when was that? When was that relative to Seinfeld? That's interesting. Uh, I think, was I think it was a similar time? time. I think it started slightly later. Yeah. Because that's got kind of a number, I guess, of like Becky and people like that in Roseanne are, are, are really interesting and not just there as sort of set dressing. So yeah, that's 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 a good shout. 
I mean, it's, it's interesting looking back, isn't it? Because one of these other things that we might get onto in a future episode is people people going back and watching Friends and going, "Oh, you can't really behave like that at uh, at women these days in in terms of some of the ways that they treat their women characters." Uh, and, it, and it is very interesting because you kind of think actually there probably isn't a load of stuff where they treat Elaine uh, in a different way. Maybe some of the other characters, but actually it's probably reasonably even handed in some of that stuff as well. Whereas I think I think some other things you kind of go back and say, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that now, and maybe that's because you would do more what you would do in Parks and Rec, where it's again it's much more even handed. Uh, Seinfeld is available on Amazon Prime Video in the UK and from Hulu in the USA. Don't forget you can join in with our conversations by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Between Laughs, on Facebook Between the Laughs, or email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. One last thing before we go it's time for round one of our World Cup of Sitcoms. Two British classics have been drawn together in round one. They are Blackadder and Faulty Towers. Blackadder versus Faulty Towers. Who wins? Paul. Oh, I am probably more familiar with Black. I've rewatched it more, um, and certainly series two Blackadder. I probably spent a lot of my my youth wishing I was him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Blackadder. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent Blackadder. Um, I think I think it's smarter. I think it's um, has more layers. I thought the last episode was one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, yeah. By a mile. Even if you have to average out the quality of Blackadder, including season one? Um, yeah, I think so. To be honest, I think the John Cleese thing is a little bit wasted on me. Um, like, I can understand why people like it, but I don't particularly. And yeah. season one has got Brian Blessed, which you can, you can forgive a lot of other stuff just for watching <laughs> Brian Blessed shout. Okay, so it's a 2-0 it's a victory for Blackadder. My casting vote isn't needed, but I also would have gone for Blackadder. Uh, so Blackadder goes through to uh, the second round of the World Cup of sitcoms. Faulty Towers may still have a chance by the repechage. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will be back with episode two at some point in the future. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or whichever podcasting tool you use. Bye. Bye.